Hi, this is Jessica Murray, Managing Editor of Stairway to STEM. We're an online resource that supports autistic students transitioning to college, especially with a STEM focus. This April, we decided to kick off the Steps to Autism Acceptance podcast. We wanted to give our editorial board members and their guests a chance to promote concrete actions that people can take to create greater acceptance for autistic students and students on the spectrum. What does it mean to really accept someone else as they are? Stereo to STEM editors and their guests are going to explore the steps we can take now to create a culture change. I'd like to introduce editorial board member Claire Barnett. Hi Claire, thank you for leading this episode. Hey Jessica, I'm really excited to be doing this. Listeners, have you been thinking about what kinds of things friends and peers can do to support autistic students on campus? Claire and her guests are here to help us address this issue. Claire, in addition to working as an editorial board member for STS, what's your primary role and who's going to be your guest for this episode? So for this podcast, my primary role is really as a student. Um, I'm an undergraduate senior, and most of what I have to say comes from the perspective of a self-advocate, someone on the autism spectrum, who has also been through all of school and now three years of college. My guests today are going to be two individuals. The first is a close friend of mine, Hunter Long, who is going to offer a perspective on what it's like to be a peer, classmate, and friend of someone who's autistic. The second is a fellow undergraduate student named Alicia Tillman, who's going to give the perspective of someone on the autism spectrum and provide some tips on how to best support and accept your autistic friend, peer, or classmate. Hunter and Alicia have two very different viewpoints to offer, but they're both really important as we have this conversation. Thank you, Claire. I'm really looking forward to this. So I'm going to have two guests today. The first is Hunter Long, who's a friend of mine, um, and I'm a self-advocate on the autism spectrum, and so he's going to give a perspective on what it's like to be a friend and classmate of someone who's autistic. How you doing, Hunter? I'm doing well. How about you? Pretty good. Loving the spring weather. Okay, let's jump right in. Do you remember when we first met? I do remember when we first met because we did the media immersion when I was a freshman incoming first year here. And so I do remember the first time we met was when you were doing the leadership position for that and I was a, a student under you. Do you remember what your first impressions were when we met? I knew you were a very good photographer because I had already like looked you up at that point and figured out who was I was going to be working with. But as far as like first meeting you or running into you, it definitely felt a little different. I mean, I guess you, I guess I felt like it was hard to like connect with you in some ways, but also that could have been at that time. I was like, maybe it's because she's a sophomore. She's older than me. She's like the editor of the photo sections. So when would you say that we really became not just like people both working on the photo staff, but friends? Probably for me, like there's specifically like a time when I was working with y'all and we ended up staying late after um, editor's meeting and we actually just continued to work on like our own homework and talk about life and stuff. And I think that was probably the first time for me, at least I can recall that like we were more than just like coworkers, but actually friends. Yeah, so that would have been probably early September or yeah. so. It's been a full school year now, um, and I would love to know from your perspective, You, so you know me, you also have a cousin who's on the autism spectrum. Yep. Um, are there any ways that you've noticed that your relationships with me or your cousin are different than other relationships? I think a lot of it comes down to um, the idea of intention and like outward actions so I think it's really easy at least for just like normal friends or people who aren't on the spectrum is that 
it's and I think everyone in general is you're really quick to associate outward actions with fundamental intentions of a person and I know at least like when I'm friends with you I know that sometimes you might either say things or do things that may come off one way but I know like doesn't actually mean that you like, don't like a person or like am not interested in something. Um, I know that's also true with my cousin. Like he would be like sometimes like socially withdrawn within a group, especially like in Christmas time or Thanksgiving. He would be like doing his own thing, but a lot of times that wasn't because he didn't like anyone, because he just couldn't handle the stimulation or couldn't handle the noise. And so it's like interesting and in learning to adapt to the whole thing about someone's outward actions and whether those actually indicate what they truly feel. And so especially like with you and with him, like I know that a lot of times those things don't correlate. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. And I think that's useful for anyone listening who has a coworker, a friend, a classmate who's on the autism spectrum. It may be with a neurotypical person that you're able to assume that direct connection. Um, but sometimes there's another motivation for an autistic person or just the lack of understanding that being too straightforward, for example, can be insulting. So some social cues that perhaps get missed in there. What I'd like to know next is, so you talked about some of the differences in how you might interpret my communication versus a neurotypical friend's. Do you think it's helpful when you have a friend like me who's on the spectrum if they disclose to you that they're autistic? I think it always is helpful. I think when I, I still was probably friends with you before I knew you were autistic, but I think knowing, after the fact that I knew you were autistic or on the spectrum, I a lot of things previously made sense in ways I that I really couldn't explain. And if someone didn't know that, it would definitely shape or color how someone feels about someone on the spectrum. So, like, for instance, like, if you, maybe you're, like, you're harsh towards, a, like, a photograph or you're harsh towards someone's actions, it may not be because you dislike that photograph or actions, but because, like, you are typically more blunt and more straightforward than someone else. And that's fine, and it's, it's like, who you are. And But by knowing, having the background and context that you are autistic and on the spectrum changes the interaction and it sort of shapes how I would interpret different things that you like either signals you send or things you say yeah well and I would also say because I have like explained to you what autism means for me you're able to sometimes tell me when I've said something that comes across like too direct or if even just my body language is sending the signal that I'm not interested in a conversation you're able to stop me and say like hey Claire is that how you actually feel um, so I would say that's probably another pro of having an open conversation I mean, about I, that. Right. I think there's never really a disadvantage to being open about things like that. Um, certainly, I guess, if people aren't as receptive of that information, there may be there. But in general, for the most part, it's always helpful to know uh, the full picture about something like that because a situational understanding of how someone like acts is way better than just sort of the surface level understanding that we a lot of times tend towards. Yeah. I will say, I think the one challenge with that tends to be when you disclose to someone, even someone you're close to, and they don't have a lot of knowledge, background knowledge about what autism is. Um, so when I told you that, you had the background knowledge of having a family member who has the same diagnosis. And even though autism is different for every person, you had this like general understanding of what that meant. Um, and so I do think when you are an autistic person disclosing to some peer, classmate, even a close friend for the first time, if they don't have that understanding, there can be the burden of having to explain not only what autism is, but what it means specifically for you. So I guess I would recommend to anyone listening who's on the spectrum, if you're preparing to have that conversation, think about the best ways to explain, like specifically how your diagnosis impacts your life, in case that person really doesn't understand. 
uh, what autism is or what it would look like for you? I think that's yeah really important because I think most people, um, especially like neurotypically, uh, like people are going to carry a lot of baggage with whatever label is assigned to anything, and so a lot of times it's impossible to predict what baggage someone carries or what experience they have with it, negative yeah. or positive. And so it is important to go about it from an explanation of what it means to you. Okay. Let's wrap it up with, do you have any stories or anecdotes of experiences that maybe were confusing at first, but ended up maybe funny or better explained once you had viewed them in the context of me being on the spectrum? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of times it would just be funny, like when you're critiquing writing or photography everything can come off like very blunt. I don't know. I think just the funny stuff is like we always talk about the, what does this picture like the color look like or things like this. And, yeah. and you'd be like, oh, it's, it's bad. It's awful. But like, which I know you really mean like it's different or not what you want or not what you expect, but like it's not inherently bad, but it's just the way you express that. And it's just, it just comes across very funny now that I know the background, but right. to someone on the surface, like, oh God, like what, what's <laughs> happening? Um, yeah. Well, and to clarify that, I don't think you've ever taken a bad photo hunter. All right. Well, um, that's debatable, but you know. <laughs> all right. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Yeah, of course. Anytime. My second guest today is undergraduate Vanderbilt student Alicia Tillman. She is on the autism spectrum, is a self-advocate, and is a member of the Vanderbilt Autism and Neurodiversity Alliance, which I'm also a part of here at Vanderbilt University. And so, Alicia, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty all right. I had an apple Nutri-Grain bar today, and that was pretty good. <laughs> That's great. Good start to the day. So we are going to jump in and talk about your perspective as a self-advocate and your experiences working alongside other neurotypical students and peers just throughout your life. So let's start at the beginning. When you were in, say, elementary school, do you remember feeling different at all from your classmates and friends in school? Oh, yeah. My very first year, like in pre-K, I pretty much had one friend that wasn't my sister. It's like, you know, me and my sister were close and I had literally one other friend and I barely talked to anyone else. And the way that I first made my friends in kindergarten was just that people who were in my class last year recognized me and were like, oh, come sit over here, But even though we like barely knew each other last year. Yeah. When you think of, you know, a typically developing elementary schoolers like running around with all the other little kids, I was similar though. I remember in kindergarten, these two girls, they kept wanting to be my friend, which is kind of funny, and they kept inviting me to do things, and I was, I was very much uninterested. Do you remember at any point, so I guess the earliest point that you remember trying to make a new friend or friends? Honestly, the earliest I can remember is in high school. Like, the way it worked was my elementary school, like, was a feeder school into my middle school, which was also a feeder into my mm -hmm. high school. So it was pretty much like you just got to know people over time, and the same people who I, like, knew in pre K who were my friends in kindergarten were the same people I was, like, talking to in 12th grade. Yeah. So, like, high school, I think, was the first time where it's like there were a bunch of kids from other middle schools yeah. that I didn't already know. And, like, I think part of it was, like, in particularly small classes, like, you know, calculus or physics. You know, we'd have a lot of free time between, like, doing assignments, and I'd just kind of, like, go over to people and be like, hey, and, you know, we'd just chat. I'd usually try to, like, bring other people over, and then sometimes we'd have overlapping classes, and that's how I would, like, get to know someone. I had to take PE senior year, and most people will take it freshman year, so I had, like, one friend in the class who was <laughs> another senior. We knew each other, so we got a lot closer just because of that. Did you ever feel like other people had an easier time building those new friendships or making new connections? Oh, yeah, definitely. People would just be like, go talk to that person. I'd be like, that's 
not at all instructive. It's harder than it sounds. Yeah, that's like the vaguest directive. Just yeah. go do it. So what about the transition to college? I mean, that's like when you sort of pick up and start over in terms of none of those people are going to roll over from elementary, middle, high school, unless you have just a couple students from your, your high school who come here. Yeah, there actually are three students from my high school now, and one of them is my best friend who already knew I was autistic because I told her in 10th grade. Wow, and that's great that she came yeah, here. she's very supportive. And... It was very interesting. Like, people seemed a lot more accepting of it. I've, like, never hid that I was autistic. I didn't know it until, like, ninth grade, but, like, as soon as I mm-hmm. found out, I just told everyone. And it's something I'm very open about here. I think you've probably seen it. I have my I'm too yeah. autistic for this hoodie that I wear very regularly. I've had several students and, like, one of my professors comment on it. Everyone likes it. And I don't know. Everyone's been pretty accommodating. Sometimes I just throw it around, like, you know, a casual jokey thing. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because one conversation I was having um, with Hunter, our last guest, was is it helpful for a friend or classmate on the spectrum to be open with it? And he said yes, that it's really good to have that dialogue and to be able to know specifically, like, what was your intention when you said something, for example? Do you feel like that's been a largely positive experience for you? Yes, I think I was very surprised to find out. One person who, like, I don't know, it just never came up was I found out last year thought that, like, the entirety of the time that we'd known each other, I was, like, this incredibly sarcastic person. And I was like, nothing I've <laughs> ever said to you has ever been sarcastic. And she was just, like, shocked. And I feel like telling people I'm autistic helps things like that not happen because I'm like, I'm not a sarcastic person. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever had any negative experiences with disclosing to people or just being open about it in general? Well, when I remember earlier, like telling my best friend in 10th grade, there were like other people at the same time. And like one of the other people who was there was all, like, she instantly responded, I knew there was something wrong with you. And it was like, she was like wow. supportive, but also it was like, that's very offensive. No, that initial reaction hurts. Yeah. And I've, it's like stuck with me forever, even though that's someone who's like now, you know, someone I think of fondly and who's like in general been very supportive of me. So I feel like that's probably the worst reaction I got. Most people are pretty chill about it. Like, I told my roommate, who has interacted with plenty of autistic people, like, from before college. And I, and, like, sometimes my roommate will, like, tell other people, and, like, people will go out of their way to accommodate me now. So that's pretty nice. Like, yeah. I went to my first party this year, and, like, when I got there, one of the people who was hosting the party, like, pulled out a box of white rice just for me, and I was like, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, as someone who's also very picky with food. That's really great to have people thinking about you as they plan events. Yes, she also Um, offers me free bread regularly. Wow, what a good friend. Yeah, you saying that makes me think about the very first semester that I disclosed to professors, because I was diagnosed a lot later. It was sophomore year of college. So one of the first semesters I disclosed to a professor, one of them immediately said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I wonder if those reactions stem from a place of just like not understanding what autism means. Because I feel like if you understand it, you see it as this more complicated connection of both challenges and gifts, but not something that's totally negative. Do you have any take on that? Have you ever had to inform someone about what autism was? Yes, definitely. I remember during my phase when I first discovered that I was autistic and I went around declaring it to everyone in high school, one of the first people I told immediately responded, what's autistic? (laughs) So, and I got that reaction a lot, actually. So it's like, it was something that I know people were regularly aware of, like everyone knew autism speaks existed, but no one actually knew what autism was. So I had to like inform people a lot. I ended up making this Google doc full of links to sources. And I'd like put a little like thing explaining this is what the source is and then put the hyperlink in it. And I'd share it with so many people and I'd be like, here's like a not comprehensive, but like way more detailed guide than anything you've ever seen about autism. And also you can ask me questions. And that's made me very comfortable doing the same thing here. And I'm always happy to like have those conversations with people here. And I found that people seem to be more educated here, but there's also people who are kind of just like aware it exists, but and like aware that people need accommodations, but don't really know the specifics. How do you feel about it? I don't know. It's sort of a burden of like knowing that any person you tell you might have to explain it to. 
Have you ever gotten tired of having to explain what it means? I've only gotten tired when people kind of try to fight me on things. Like, a lot of people are just willing to sit and listen, and that's fine. I actually enjoy doing that. Back when I stopped being pre-med because I decided I wanted to go to grad school and be a professor, but back when I was pre-med, like, my whole reason for it was that I wanted to, like, specialize in, like, diagnosing and treating autistic patients because I would have been happy to, like, have those conversations with parents all the time. Yeah. And it's, like, historically, it's gone pretty well most of the time. My only beef is when, like, I had a friend who didn't know that Autism Speaks was bad, and I was, like, trying to explain it to him, <laughs> and he kept being like, but, but, and it kind of felt like a bit of a debate, and I was like, no, you should just trust me on this, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever gotten this reaction, but once or twice I've been told, like, oh, you don't look autistic, or you can't tell, and so that's that's also a little strange, because it indicates that someone really doesn't know that autism doesn't have a look, and so then, too, you have to explain, like, actually, we, we look normal, and we may even seem normal, especially with people who don't have that cool, morbid intellectual disability and have developed, like, masking or coping skills. That same friend who I, like, talked with Autumn Weeks about, like, commented that, like, he didn't think I was that obviously autistic, and I was like, you're wrong, I'm very obvious, I'm a walking stereotype, you just, and I, honestly, every time someone says that to me, I just take it as, like, I guess you don't know that much about autism. Yeah. Because, like, I remember even the person who diagnosed me, my parents told me later, said that I was, like, a classic Aspie, and it's like, the more I learned about it, the more I was like, wow this is describing my life. So I feel like, and I've noticed a lot of people, other autistic people on campus, I can like know very quickly when yeah. they are. So it's like, and I feel like those people also don't always get clocked as autistic by like allistic people. So I feel mm -hmm. like there's just this thing where people think that they know what autism looks like. And it's just like everyone who thinks that I think actually has no idea. Yeah, it's interesting. Since I got my diagnosis and really like dug into what the, the very small like symptoms and signs were, I've also felt like I could pick out other people who either are probably on the spectrum or some other type of neurodiverse. So that, that has been interesting. As someone who has been very open with peers, have you ever had a really just super positive experience with another classmate or peer where you felt like they really listened to you? Yeah, I'd say one thing is, um, Lambda has a Lambda prom at the end of Rainbow Review Week every year, and, you know, it's like a big dance type thing, I'm like, yeah, that's not my scene, it's gonna be loud, there's gonna be lights, there's gonna be food that I don't want to smell and probably won't eat, and the large events coordinator actually, like, sat me down and, like, told me about everything that there was gonna be, because they had a designated quiet area, and invited me to come before the event started to, like, check it out and offer tips on how to make it better for future years, that's and that, great. like, yeah, that touched my heart. This is the same friend who, like, made me rice and offers me bread all the time. She's great. Wow. So that's someone who's really being like an advocate and an ally. Yeah, there um, are like some people who will like actively ask because they know that I like, they know that I have a lot of specific issues, but I think they'd be very hard to guess. So a lot of times people will just ask me like, hey, is this okay? Or be like, um, let me know if there's anything I should know regarding this. And I don't know. I'm always appreciative of that. Like I've been told to, like one of my friends who also does a lot of programming for McGill, she, like, asked me to send her a list of, like, foods that I can and can't eat because it's so extensive. And she wants to, like, make sure that I don't go hungry at events. Yeah, that's actually really huge. Well, and I know just the fact of, like, having a friend who instead of assuming, like, oh, well, now that I've known you for a little bit and I know what autism is, I know exactly how to accommodate you. But having a friend who instead asks every time, like, how do I make this better and what would work best for you? Yeah, that's something I would definitely recommend to anybody who's listening who has a friend on the spectrum and you're not sure how to best accommodate them, just ask them. So let's talk real briefly about what have your experiences been just working alongside like classmates who are neurotypical? Oh, it usually makes group work really awkward. Like it's hard for me to like figure out who to be with in a group. I'm really bad at making friends in class actually. 
So it's like, I have a lot of friends, but almost none of them have been made through classes. So group work is always awkward. I feel like people don't understand what I'm saying all the time. Like, I've had a lot of experiences where it's like, I'm taking a bunch of literature classes this semester and I'll like have an interpretation and I'll be like really confident about it. And everyone else will kind of just be like, what are you talking about? And that makes things really awkward. But then, you know, the professor will be like, blah, 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 this. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I was right. And it makes me feel validated. But it still makes group work very awkward because I feel like a lot of my ideas are like misunderstood or people like have no idea why I'm thinking them. Yeah, I have had experience as well. And I don't know if you've had these where my interactions with group mates have been misinterpreted. And so I've gotten a lot of, I'm an HOD major, human and organizational development. And so we do a lot of group projects and I've gotten a lot of feedback on those projects from teammates that say like, Claire was really blunt or um, she was super critical of this idea and like was not supportive. And so I learned from those that in group work situations or in like just working with any type of classmate situation, it's important to think very carefully about how words are being perceived. Have you had any of those type of experiences? Yeah, most of them are. Whenever I do a presentation, group or otherwise, I usually get feedback that's like, you talk way too fast, slow down, calm down. And I'm like, this is just how I speak. And it's, I don't know, it feels like the kind of thing where I'm like, this would be very hard to improve because like, I feel like the speed they want me to go is just like unnaturally slow. And then, you know, sometimes I feel like I worry a lot about, like, being perceived as too aggressive. So I yeah. feel hesitant to, like, kind of ask things of group mates if I feel like maybe they should be doing more. So I feel like that's definitely, like, hurt me at times. So how do you balance when someone asks you to modify your behavior in some way with who you are? Like, to what degree do you adjust your behaviors to be a better maybe friend or classmate, when you know that's also changing something about you that's just natural? I think it depends. If it's, like, something that I need to do, I probably won't stop, but I'll try to, like, be cognizant of it and see, like, how much I'm doing it. Let's say if I was, like, tapping a lot for a stimming purpose and it was, like, really distracting to someone, I might, like, switch to, like, tapping on my leg because it's quieter than, like, tapping on a desk. Right. Or if people say I'm talking too fast, I'll, like, ask them to specifically, like, watch me do it again, and I'll, like, try to consciously slow down, and I'll be like, tell me when I've hit the speed that's good. And then I'll like do it again until I can like do it at a speed that feels like I can repeat it on the actual day of the presentation. Interesting. Well, it's been wonderful to get your perspective on this. What do you think, if you just had tips for any listener who is a friend or peer of an autistic person, uh, what would your tip be for them on how to best support and interact with that individual? I'd say definitely don't assume anything. Like every time someone has asked me for something, even if it was like something that I didn't need an accommodation for, it means a lot. And honestly, it makes me feel safer, like asking for them myself. And also just remember that like everyone's different and you shouldn't ever like say, well, I have this autistic friend who needed this. So I'm going to assume you need that too, because everyone's different. Yeah. And it's very important to make sure that you're accommodating people on an individual basis. Good advice. Thank you, Alicia. Thanks for having me, Claire. All right, so with that, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Check out other materials on the Stairway to STEM website for more information about being an autistic college student and really just general advice about practicing acceptance. You can also check out the other installations of the Acceptance is an Action podcast on the Stairway to STEM website. And that is all for today. We'll see you later. This is Jessica Murray again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Steps to Autism Acceptance podcast. For links, bios, and more information on this episode, plus additional resources for autistic students transitioning to college, visit stairwaytostem.org. Again, thanks for listening and keep tuning in.